the state of cybersecurity at the dawn of a new decade. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Paul Colby, former CIA officer, recipient of the Intelligence Medal of Merit and the Distinguished Career Intelligence Medal, and currently the director of the Intelligence Project at Harvard Kennedy School's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. Welcome, Paul. How are you? Good. What's the mission of the Intelligence Project? So the Intelligence Project, we help prepare a new generation of future intelligence practitioners, as well as policymakers who will be using intelligence. And we hope to explore the nexus between intelligence and policy so that we have a better take up between those who are producing intelligence and those who are consuming it. Recently, a sophisticated cyber attack on the US government and other large corporations filled the news cycle. Politicians on both sides of the aisle called this, if you will, an act of war. Briefly describe the nature and scope of SolarWinds attack. So I'll start with, um, was not an act of war. It was an act of sophisticated, massive espionage. Uh, so there's been a lot of hyperbole around what's actually happening. Uh, the SolarWinds attack was a supply chain attack, uh, uh, hack that um, used software used by many government agencies and thousands of private companies uh, to manage their own networks uh, by inserting the malware, their tools uh, into those back doors, into that supply chain. They were able to penetrate, lurk, explore, manipulate uh, IT networks of many different uh, companies and agencies. The U.S. Is, is one big attack surface, isn't it? I mean, technology and free enterprise are pillars of our society, and our economy is huge. Is there just too much cyber battle space to defend? No. Uh, the U.S. is uniquely vulnerable, um, but it's important, stepping back a little bit, it's important for folks to understand that we live in an age of ambient cyber conflict. Uh, there's constantly efforts on a multilateral, global uh, scale taking place all the time, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of hacks, attacks, manipulations taking place every day, hidden behind the scenes. Most of us don't see this. U.S. is a big player uh, in that ambient cyber conflict. Uh, it's used for espionage. It's used for preparation of the battlefield to recon uh, opponent networks, adversary networks. It's used to emplace weapons, which could be used in time of conflict could be triggered. Um, and it's used to activate weapons, as we've seen in attacks such as Stuxnet uh, and others. Um, and it's all commingled with massive amounts of cybercrime, which are sometimes used as cover for these operations, uh, and sometimes just provide lots of noise. But it's another aspect that folks have to be thinking about. You mentioned it wasn't an act of war. But the world of nation state cyber operations is an eternal game of cat and mouse. So at what point does a particular move by a threat actor become an act of war? Well, let's use uh, sort of traditional terms of, of espionage and warfare, right? So nations have been spying on each other for as long as there were nations and long before there were nations. Um, so using human or technical assets to steal information uh, to uncover secret information and to steal that is, you know, traditionally and has not been either in practice or in international law seen as an act of war. Um, 
actions which will are destructive, which take out, say, for example, critical infrastructure. If you were to use cyber tools to turn the valves uh, on a refinery, which released hydrocarbons and caused, you know, fire, death, mayhem, that would rightly be seen as as a hostile act and potentially as an act of war. Um, and the U.S. has specifically said we reserve the right to respond to such attacks, uh, not just in kind, not just with cyber weapons, but with the full range of weapons at our disposal. So if an adversary such as Iran, for example, were to create a cyber attack, which were to cause uh, massive uh, disruption of the financial sector, which were to cause physical, physical destruction of, of critical infrastructure, uh, the U.S. might respond with a cyber uh, attack, uh, cyber response. It might respond in other ways. Who are the nation state threat actors that challenge the U.S. most often? Who are the usual suspects? So I think one of the aspects of cyber that's, that's important to understand is just, just how accessible it is and how many players they are and how much it's viewed uh, as a great equalizer, as a great asymmetric tool um, uh, for states that aren't as powerful as the U.S., that don't spend as much as U.S. to offset U.S. Exam, uh, US power. Uh, major players, you know, the sort of the usual suspects, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, are most commonly pointed to as uh, the most active uh, and effective cyber actors. But just about anybody who's got a computer and an internet uh, link uh, uh, can uh, play in the game. Cyber tools, unlike nuclear weapons, cyber tools, cyber weapons proliferate quickly, instantaneously. They proliferate without regard to border. They don't require massive Manhattan Project uh, level uh, programs to build. Um, so it's while it's an area where the U.S. has had strategic advantage uh, for many years, uh, it's an advantage that's eroding, uh, and it's offset by where you started with our unique vulnerability, the size of our attack surface, the our dependence uh, on the the um, uh, the networks that power our financial system, that power Wall Street, uh, that power our uh, telecommunication systems, that sustain our defense networks. Um, and that we're all dependent upon in our daily lives. Every network admin will tell you that striking the right balance between security, performance, and convenience requires trade-offs. So mm -hmm. where do we draw the line between examining every data packet and implementing quantum-grade encryption? Right. Um, it's, I mean, it's a classic conundrum and, and often used in the intelligence business. It's the security versus efficiency you know, uh, relationship, right? Uh, efficiency uh, is, uh, you know, is, you know, not spent, is driving down cost, making things fast, making things cheap, uh, make things accessible um, and transparent. Security is, you know, adding cost, adding uh, friction in the system, uh, adding, um, uh, uh, limiting accessibility, limiting access, and those things, you know, stand in juxtaposition. So for where's that, where's that balance? Well, you know, every, you know, you've got sort of the, the strategic level balance. How, how does the U.S. think about this as a, as a national issue? Where, you know, where do we guard our networks? And every organization is thinking about it the same way in terms of their own prioritization of time, money, people. Um, I think one of the U.S.'s problems is that we tend to, uh, on both a macro and micro level, prioritize efficiency far more than we do security. Particularly when you start getting into you know smaller companies, mid cap companies that don't necessarily have the sophistication and resources 
that a Fortune 10, 50, or 100 company do to devote to this. You see the same thing in US government, security agencies, intelligence services, uh, defense, you know, spend and place a lot more uh, focus and emphasis on security, classified networks, particularly those that have classified networks. Other agencies can think of an OPM example, uh, Office of Personnel Management, uh, perhaps um, uh, put a lot less in and by consequence are more vulnerable. But so, where that balances, it's a difficult question. So, so then what threats pose the greatest challenge then maybe in this coming year? That's a, pose the greatest challenge in the coming year. Um, look, I think um, we're going to continue to see uh, massive espionage efforts against the US. Uh, we're going to see continued efforts to uh, uh, reconnoiter, find and place uh, tools in our uh, networks uh, that could be used in time of conflict. Uh, we have to be think about the vulnerability of our financial structures, financial system. I think that's one of the uh, uh, most attractive, uh, 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 juiciest, and perhaps most vulnerable targets um, uh, that we might face. Um, so I think we have to think about both contingencies in event of conflict. How vulnerable if, uh, are we in event of of a, of a real shooting war? We know that you know China places huge uh, emphasis on disruption of IT systems, disruption of communication systems as, as uh, helping to offset our other advantages. Uh, but we also, I think more importantly, have to be thinking about how we build a system that is more resilient, more resistant to the types of hacks that we saw with solar winds. And in my mind, that requires much closer uh, cooperation, both between uh, uh, entities in the private sector, um, but also between private sector and US government. So if the U.S. economy were to suffer a massive cyber attack, what would be the first signals we would see? Oh, could be, you know, any number of things. I mean, we've seen DDoS attacks on, on Wall Street. We've seen uh, 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 banks uh, in New York and elsewhere disrupted over a sustained period of time. It might be something like that. It might be something that slowly you know, sort of evolved and that we understand the scope. Uh, so solar wind started as, you know, relatively small story, you know, didn't look like a, a very big deal until it started unpeeling the layers of that and, and the, the depth uh, and breadth uh, of the of the activity became uh, apparent. And it could be, you know, suddenly uh, you go into your app looking to find your bank information and you can't find it or you're not able to access uh, uh, access your information or your information is gone or different. I mean, there's, I mean, thousands of different ways that might manifest and who knows what the first indications that would be. Paul Colby, Director of the Intelligence Project at Harvard Kennedy School Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. If somebody wants to connect with you, Paul, maybe they want to find more about the Intelligence Project. How can they do that? Uh, you can go to the Belfer Center website and find the Intelligence Project and you find our contact information there. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. Thanks, Tanya. And find more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.